Welcome to Woodland Church. Here is today's message. Last time, two weeks ago, we were looking at the life of Samuel, and we were looking at the account when God's people wanted a king. And if you remember here, it was God's people came to Samuel. They said, Samuel, you're getting old. Your sons aren't very good. And why don't you give us a king like every other nation has? God's people had rejected the Lord as their king, and they had wanted a king so that they could look like everyone else around them. Samuel gave them a strong warning. Listen, guys, you don't want a king. He's going to tax you. He's going to take the very best from you. He's going to take your, your, your sons and your daughters, and your daughters are going to become bakers, and they're going to serve the king, and your sons are going to go off to war for this king. It's not going to end how you think it will end. But they looked at Samuel, and they said, nope, we want a king. And God said, okay, Samuel, give them what they desire. But they were warned, and I talked last time about how in the political season that we have currently been in, on how when you guys go to vote, and as you think about our system that we live in, we know that our hope and our security is not found within any political system. Is that as God's people, we come underneath the authority of the king and we submit our lives to him. And, um, and I hope that as you voted this past Tuesday that you were reminded of who your king is. Well, this week we are going to continue on in Samuel's life, and we're actually going to be getting a glimpse into a little bit more of, of uh, Samuel's private life, but we're also going to be looking at when Samuel anoints the first king. And before we dive into the Word of God here, I've got to give you a little bit of a backstory before we dive in, because oftentimes I think that that's good for us to kind of understand what is taking place at this time, what is happening within God's Word. And before we dive into it, I want to give you a backdrop to what is taking place. So there was a Benjamite. Uh, a Benjamite is one of the 12... Uh, the Benjamins are one of the 12 tribes of Israel, and, the, and Scripture teaches us that there was a Benjamite who had a son, and this son was a very, very handsome man. Actually, Scripture says that he was the most handsome man within Israel. He was also a tall man, and this young man came from a family of wealth. So I like to say that he had the triple threat to society. He was tall handsome, and he had money. If you guys know those people, if you are tall, handsome, and if you have money, I hate to break it to you, but your life is kind of easier than everyone else's. I'm just going to say that, no. But uh, this man had this son, and this son had some really good traits on the outside. Uh, Scripture teaches us that this man's son, everyone else within Israel came up to his shoulder, and this man stood a head length above everyone else. And this man sends his son on a mission. And this mission seems like a very normal mission at this time. Basically, the, the family had lost some donkeys. And the father came to the son, and the father said, Son, I need for you to take one of our servants, and I need for you to go and find these donkeys. So two young men 
set out to find these donkeys. And they are searching from town to town, from area to area, and they cannot find these donkeys. And it's multiple days have now passed. And the son says to the servant, he says, listen, I think we should probably head back home because my dad is probably now worried that I'm gone and I've been missing for so many days and we've got no luck in finding where these donkeys lie. And his servant looks at him and he says, well, we're close to this town and there's a man of God there that, that might just have the answers that we are looking for. So the son says, okay, let's head on into the town and let's uh, find where this man of God is and let's have this conversation with him. And maybe, just, just maybe this man of God can tell us where these donkeys are. And then we're going to read 1 Samuel 9. So if you have your Bibles with, with you today, please turn to 1 Samuel chapter 9 and please stand as we read this account. And this is where... The adventure begins. So we're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 9, starting in verse 14. The Word of God says this. So they went up to the city. As they were entering the, the city, they saw Samuel coming towards them on his way up to the high place. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel... Tomorrow, about this time, I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people, Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines. I have seen my people because of their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, Here is the man of whom I have spoken to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, where is the house of the seer? Samuel answered Saul, I am, the, I, am, I am the seer. Go up before me, go to the high place, for today you shall eat with me, and in the morning I will let you go, and I will, and will tell you all that is on your mind. As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and all your father's house? Saul answered, Am I not a Benjamite from the least of the tribes of, of Israel? Is not my clan the humblest of all clans in the tribes of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? Then Samuel took Saul and his young men and brought them into the hall and gave them a place at the, at the head of those who have been invited, who were about 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion I gave you, of which I have said to you, put it aside. So the cook took up the leg that was on it and set them before Saul. And Samuel said, See, what was kept is set before you. Eat, because it was kept for you until the hour appointed that you might eat with the guests. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. And when they had come down from the high place into the city, a bed was spread for Saul on the roof, and he laid down to sleep. Then at the break of dawn, Samuel called Saul on the roof, Up, that I may send you on your way. So Saul rose, and both he and Samuel went out into the street. As they were going to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to pass on before us. 
And when he passes on, stop here yourself for a while, that I may make known to you the word of God. Chapter 10, verse 1. Samuel took a flask of oil, poured it on his head, and kissed him. Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of the surrounding enemies. And this shall be a sign of you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. Let us pray, church. Father, as we look to your word today, Lord, Father, come and speak to us, Lord, through your Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you for this account, Lord. I thank you for the life that your servant Samuel lived. Lord, may we glean from him today. Father, come and do a work in our hearts and our minds. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated here, church. Like I said, I love how this account begins. How did Saul and Samuel's lives and how did their paths come together? They some lost donkeys. Literally earlier on, it, it says that uh, Saul's family lost some donkeys. And Saul's dad sends them on this journey. Saul, I need for you to go find these donkeys. And in the midst of Saul searching for these donkeys, the Lord is at work. I want you to know, church, that if you ever lose donkeys, I want you to think of this account here. And if you lose uh, a whole, whole bunch of donkeys, I want you to stop and think, Lord, what do you have for me this day? Because it might turn out to be really fantastic. That's the end of the sermon, by the way. That's, that's what I want you to learn today, that if you lose donkeys, that this is how the Lord works. But I find it so amazing at how what seems to be just a normal situation within Saul's life. Saul has been on a journey for three days searching for donkeys. And at the same time, the Lord is preparing Samuel for this activity within Saul's life. And I love how Samuel already had insight to what was about to take place. 1 Samuel 9, 15. It says, Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, Samuel, this day tomorrow, tomorrow will be the day I'm going to bring a man to you, and you are going to anoint him to be prince of Israel. Well, tomorrow comes, and tomorrow is the day. And it says in verse 17, when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord obviously spoke to him again. Here is the man of whom I've spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, tell me where is the house of the seer. Now, that word seer is just another name for prophet at that time. And I, guys, this is what I love about how the Lord is working here, is that Samuel hears from the Lord. The Lord tells him, tomorrow I'm going to send you a guy, and he's going to come to you, and he's going to be the guy the people have been wanting for. And here's Saul, I would say kind of oblivious to all that is taking place. He's just going there because he has donkeys on his mind. 
He's not going there because in like his mind, he thinks, I'm going to become king of Israel. The people asked for it. I'm it. He's literally going there because he's looking for something else. And it's in those myths when Samuel sees this tall, handsome man coming. And the Lord speaks. Now, I want to talk real quick about their conversation. Because their conversation is very fascinating to me at how this conversation plays out. Like what I said, Saul is coming there just to be looking for donkeys. And then Samuel says this. Samuel answered Saul, I am the seer. This is 1 Samuel 9, 19. Go up before me to the high place, for today you will eat with me. And in the morning I will let you go, and I will tell you all that is on your mind. Then he says, as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And then he says this interesting words here. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and your father's house? So Saul walks in, he finds him, he looks what he is like looking for that day, and the prophet, God's person, looks at him and says, those donkeys, they were found three days ago. Don't worry. Then he says, and for all, for, and for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and your father's house? And what you get here is like Saul like being like, what are you talking about, Samuel? Like, where is this coming from? I came here looking for these donkeys. Why are you saying these words to me? These words don't even make sense to me. And Saul answered him, am I not a Benjamite? This is verse 21. From the least of the tribes of Israel, and is not my clan the humblest of all clans in the tribe of Israel? Benjamin, why have you spoken to me this way? He's totally confused about this entire conversation. Why is this taking place? Why are you telling me this? What is happening here? And then Samuel says, just come with me tonight. Come with me. He gives them this big feast. There's 30 people there. He gets the head at the table, and Samuel brings him out the big piece of leg and you can just kind of like picture this guys have you guys seen like those like i don't know i'm thinking about like thanksgiving now because i'm just i'm just getting hungry okay you know at thanksgiving let's just talk about the prime choice here who here loves the turkey leg we got like five people right i'm with you we're the weird ones everyone else i want the white meat it's healthier forget the white meat it's all about the leg what happens here is that Samuel invites all these guests over. And Saul is still like, the donkeys have been found. I don't know why this prophet's speaking to me. And he invites 30 guests over and he sets them at the head of the table. And he takes this choice leg and he brings it out. While everyone's looking at him, he sets it right before Saul. 
And I can only just imagine what's running through Saul's mind. Because this was like a great honor. If you invite someone in, they usually don't sit at the head of the table. That is for the head of the house. Or in this case, for Samuel. Because Samuel, he is the judge. He is the prophet. He is the priest at this time. He is the, the leader of Israel. And he comes in and he sets Saul down. And he gives him this big piece, this fine choice of meat. And then he says, sleep here and come. But I love what takes place the next morning. And that's where I wanted us to be focusing in on today, church. In verse 26, Then at the break of dawn, Samuel called to Saul on the roof, Up, that I may send you on your way. So Saul arose, and both he and Samuel went out into the street. As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, remember that, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to pass on before us. When he has passed on, stop here yourself for a while, that I may make known to you the word of God. 10.1, then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him. Once again, he's looking for his donkeys. Like really try to imagine what is taking place here. And then all of a sudden this prophet is pouring oil on his head. And has the Lord not anointed you to be prince over his people? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hands of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be a sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be the prince over his heritage. Where does this take place, church? At the outskirts of a town. I want you just to kind of see what is actually taking place here. He anoints him to be king of Israel. He doesn't do it with a bunch of fanfare. He doesn't do it in the midst, in the like, you know, at the like city square at the middle of town. He's literally walking him out to send him back home. And Samuel says, listen, stay here a little bit. I got to talk to you. That servant of yours, send him like up ahead. We're going to be having this conversation in private here. And in the private conversation, he anoints him as king. And that was really, really big because the anointing oil back then, you can turn to Exodus, I believe it's chapter 30, where um, there's this whole prescription to what this oil means. But basically, he pours this oil and he gives him a kiss. And that oil represents this anointing from God. And then him kissing him shows him the respect that he has for him. And he does this on the outskirts of the city. And I point this out to you because what you will see in the life of Samuel is that some of the best work that God does in him and through him is in private. It's not in public. You can fast forward and read when he anoints David. It's almost like identical. Like the anointing of God comes down upon David and it happens at David's home while he's still just a boy. And David was thinking about sheep because he just got called in. Yeah, come on in, David. Yeah, what's going on, guys? 
yeah, yeah, there's prophets here. Oil, prayer, kissed them. Like, I point this out to us here, church, because as I look at the life of Samuel, that is one of the greatest aspects of Samuel's life. This is private life. Not his public life. Yes, the people of, of Israel recognized him. He's king, or uh, he is judge. He is the prophet. He's the priest. They, they recognize his public life, but some of the best work that takes place within Samuel's life is in the private sector. I think, church, when, when we see this account play out, and how it's just, it's in the outskirts. It's in like no one else is even watching. No one else is even there. And the Lord does this amazing work through Samuel. I just think too often, too often I think people really struggle with their private life and their public life. I think that this is an oftentimes struggle within all of mankind, not just you, you guys, churchgoers, and not just me here. What I mean by that is that people have a private life, and they've got a public life, and oftentimes they never come together. Meaning, people are one way in public, and then they're one way in private. And you might be sitting there thinking, oh, pastor, that's not me. Don't worry. I'm, I'm the same everywhere I go. Well, we have done a great social experiment for the last 17 years called social media. And this is truly like, it, this is like a revolutionary like social experiment that we have done to ourselves in, in the Western world. What goes on social media? Everything. Sometimes but it's usually the best of the best. Am I right? You younger kids who are on TikTok, which I still don't even know what TikTok is yet. I'm still trying to like figure that one out. Do we post the ugly online? You're having just a bad hair day, and do you post it? You just got done fighting with your roommate. Do you post it? Married couples. You ever have any sort of argument at home? I know no one here fights or has any disagreement. Do you post that evening, man, I'm so angry right now. We just had this big blowout. We're fighting. Now, sure, some people out there do, but for the most part, when it comes to our social media, that's our public life for a lot of people. And the public always gets the very best every time. The thing is, is that the public life is who we think we are. Our private life is actually who we are. And for a lot of people, it's very difficult to make that connection. Our public life is who we think we are, and our private life is actually who we are. And for a lot of people, there's a, a struggle there. And I totally get it, church, right? And I joke about this all the time on Sunday mornings. You come to church, you put a smile on, you're shaking hands, you're having coffee, everything's great. Nobody wants to talk about what took place on the car ride or the night before or the entire week at work. <laughs> that was horrendous. And you got chewed out and then you're talking bad about someone else and then this happens and then that happens. And it's like, guys, like we have to understand that the public and private have to come together. 
And within Samuel's life, what you see through his life is that his private life is amazing. He doesn't do things for the fanfare. He doesn't do things because he's looking to get recognized. It is truly just, this is the Lord's calling upon my life here, and I'm going to live this out both in the private and in the public sector. And I just, I just know, church, that it, it's, it's a struggle within everyone's life, is that these two lives have to match. Who you are today, right now, in this room, is who we should be on Wednesdays and on Thursdays. They have to line up. And I hate to be bringing this one out, but it's just like, I think so many people struggle with this and no one ever stops and actually thinks about it. Like, who you are when you are alone, that's like who you are, right? You're freaking out, you're yelling, you're complaining, all that, all that, who you like to think, well, that's not truly me, this is actually truly me. No, that's you. You got to recognize that. We have to recognize that. It makes me think about Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus is going to bring this to their attention. He says this Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Verse 2 Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left know what your right hand is doing, so that, you, so that your giving may be in secret. And this last line, as your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Then he talks about prayer in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, you go into your room, you shut the door, and you pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus reminds them, listen, the hypocrites love to be seen by others. They need that praise by others. They have to go to the streets. They have to set the tone. They have to let the people around them know how spiritual and how great they are. When they give, they let people know, I gave. I gave this week. Just to let you know. Oh, and I gave a lot this week. Right? And when I pray, oh, I, pray, I got the best prayers. I got the best prayers when we're eating out for lunch, my prayer is going to be the best prayer at lunchtime in the public sector. And Jesus looks at him and he's like, listen, you're so focused on the public. And Jesus literally says, the hypocrites care about the public. God sees what's done in secret. And I think for us, church, we have to be reminded that that's not just who we are, but I believe that's where God does some of his best work, is in the private area. That's why Jesus says that when you pray, you don't got to be praying on the corners or at the restaurant. I know there are some people who pray at the restaurant but don't pray in the, in the private life. 
They want to pray so that people know, oh, that's kind of a spiritual couple, spiritual people. But their private life is prayerless. And Jesus says, listen, hypocrites care about the public. But when you look at Samuel, Samuel has this amazing understanding that God, God does this work in the private sector. Look at 1 Samuel 9, 15. It says this, Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel. Think about that. Well, how? How did that happen, Lord? Well, I can tell you how. Samuel spent time with the Lord. Samuel's life over and over, as you look from his young age onward, is that he's constantly in the presence of the Lord. He is constantly living a life that's like, it's not about this public realm. It's about my private life with the Lord. And it was in the private life where the Lord gave him this word. Samuel lived a life, from what we can tell in Scripture, is that he lived a life in prayer. He lived a life in studying of the Scriptures. At this time, they would have had Moses' writings. They would have had Joshua. The book of Judges was already playing out. Samuel had God's word, and he literally spent a life in prayer and in God's word. That was his private life. And his private life eventually folded over into his public life. It was out of his private life that his public life flowed. In church, I... I really want to challenge us with that today because I know all of us in this room struggle in this area. We all have a public face and we all have a private face. I think we need to just be aware of that and just really recognize that. The Lord already knows. He already sees you in the private. Whether you're just a terrible human being and treating others just like garbage every single day, but then you know how to like put on a smile or you're treating them great and you're praying for them and you're loving them and you're caring and you're kind and you're slow to anger and you're quick to forgive and you don't hang on to the bitterness and the Lord sees all of this and I just think for us church family as we look at at Samuel's life he just shows us that so well he operates in the private the Lord, the Lord lets the people know how amazing Samuel is, but that's not Samuel doing it. Samuel's doing the Lord's work in the private sector, and the Lord is working through him. In church, I just want to really just, just challenge us today in that. And I think where it begins is where do we find our delight? as a person? Where do we spend our time? Where do we spend our thoughts? Where do, we, where do we spend our days? We've been teaching our kids Psalm 1. And Psalm, Psalm 1, 2, I think, is just so fitting because, because as I think about Samuel's life, I just think, man, these words, these words ring true within his life. Samuel 1, or uh, Psalm 1, talks about the righteous person. Who is a righteous person? In verse 2, it says this. A righteous person is, is this. His delight 
is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Who are the righteous? The ones who delight in the Lord. And on his law, he just meditates day and night. Meaning, his life is just a life that's just thinking about the Lord and who the Lord is and the goodness of God and thinking about his law and thinking about his word. And church family, I want to just leave us with that today. If you want your private life to match up with your public life, I think it all starts with who we are before God. And where do we spend our time? I say this often. We've got to be men and women who are reading His Word. Literally every single day to be in His Word. To be spending time just reading it and thinking on it, meditating on it. Lord, I don't even know what this means, but Lord, I, I want to honor You. I want, I want to love You. I want to serve You. Spending time in prayer and spending time in worship. All of these things affect us constantly. They're constantly working on our hearts and on our minds. Church, I just, I just want us to be men and women who just have these two aspects of our lives match up. I really do. I, I want that in my own life. I want that in your life. Because Samuel's life, those two things do match up perfectly. He works in this private sector and the Lord is just doing some mighty things through him. But I want you to stand and I want to pray for us today. And there's a song that we sang, I think it's just so fitting. It declares how great the Lord is. And if you guys, um, Joanne could be leading us in, great are you, Lord, today. But let me just pray for us. Father, I thank you for the life of Samuel. Lord, I thank you for this example he is to us. Father, my, my prayer today, Lord, is that we, we would live a life that's honoring to you, both publicly and privately. Lord, may you reveal to us, Lord, how sometimes these things don't always match up. But Lord, our desire is for them to be so. Father, I thank you for the work that you do on our hearts and on our minds. Father, align our lives to honor you. Father, I thank you for how you are gracious with your people. I thank you, Lord, how you forgive sinners. And you walk with us and, you, and you're patient with us. Father, I give you praise this morning. Lord, as we sing this last song, Lord, as we declare how great you are, Father, come and seal our hearts today with your word. I ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen.